I have these friends, Dan and Sheila. I actually they're podcast hosts. Welcome to Profiling Criminal Minds. I'm Dan. And I'm Dr. Redmond. And we are here for, to talk about the last episode of the first season of Millennium, which is uh, a hey, rough hour uh, of television. Oh, it was horrible. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was, it opened and it was just so tense. Thank God we didn't have to see any, any I mean, of it was stuff, that, but oof. Oh, you know, but it just, the, the nightmarish. Oh, God, yeah. Well, I mean, just, what an image to start on that you just don't oh. see on television, which is, you know, it's this, it's this woman being stalked coming out of a, a grocery store. And them just like showing this guy driving around a van just in his underwear is such an indelible image. <laughs> like, oh, that's a hard one to get out of your head. And it's just, there's a, just this grossness to it. And then she thinks her husband has come home and she's talking to him. And then all of a sudden you see Mike Starr. Oh my God. It's Mike Starr from Miller's Crossing. Oh, I love me some Mike Starr. Oh, yes. No, oh, we're very but, Star, sort of. Oh, yeah. Big fans of Mike Starr, but this is a, this is a rough episode to, oh, for fans was, of Mike Starr. This was just that opening sequence. Oh, yeah. Days. It's, it's as terrifying as anything you've seen in this serial killer fiction stuff. Yeah. And then he, you know, it ends with him taking the picture of her. I know. And you're like, oh, my God, the Polaroids. Yep. Oh, we're finally getting an explanation, kind of, for the Polaroids. Uh, which we actually do get an explanation for the Polaroids yes. in this episode. Like, it's yes. finally happened. Yes, at the end. Well, actually, earlier. Well, yes, I know we get it earlier, yeah. but at the end, what we, yeah, what yeah, we exactly. get is the, the ones that went to Frank. Yes, but uh, what yeah. the whole Polaroids are about is yeah. we, we find out... Who's been taking the Polaroids this whole time? And yeah, it turns out it's a guy who has recruited a serial killer. Yep. Uh, and oh my god, what a serial killer. So he, he, you know, attacks this woman. And then we cut to Frank, who's in Virginia visiting his wife's family. Yep. And, uh, turns out his wife's family are all very upper class, uh, government people. Yes, well, and, they were diplomats. Yeah, hence upper class government people. Uh, yeah. but who, but and you know, Catherine traveled the world as a child. Yeah. Going from one consulate to the next. Yep. Yeah. Could have been your life. <laughs> oh my god, oof. But, um, uh, the funny part is, of course, is they don't think much of Frank and his job. There is a lot of passive aggression in the family scene. Oh my god. Which I thought was very well written. Oh yes. They did such a wonderful job of this family where Catherine is the outsider, the outlier. Yep. Everybody it else, you know, has, has respectable work and she's a social worker and she's married to an FBI agent. It's all very day classe. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. right? It's so weird to think of it that way, but that's how they, these people operate. Yeah. 
I liked it, though. I thought it was really nice. It's a nice window into her. It's a nice window into why she essentially has set up in a place and just wants to help people rather than flitting from one place to the next for her whole life. Like, she really is interested in setting down roots the same way Frank was. Yeah. Which is a nice little explanation for the back, you know, giving us the backstory that explains why she puts up with some of the stuff with Frank she does. Yeah. No, I thought that was very well handled. And then we get uh the what kicks off the plot of the episode, which is uh, Frank's father-in-law has a friend who's dying. Yep. And that friend has a son who uh, killed his wife. Yeah. And basically, the guy is not going to be able to die peacefully if he doesn't, you know, make peace with his son. So yeah, but it's not. Yeah. But, and as Frank says, they will arrange last meetings with families, even for people, you know, in jail forever. And he's like, well, you gotta, con-, but the problem is, he doesn't want to see his son, so you've gotta convince him <laughs> to go and see it, to, uh, to let his son come and see him. And, yes, because, yeah. the, because his wife does not believe that his son did it. Now, we have already, of course, seen the opening sequence. Yeah, we, we know what's going on here. We've seen yeah, television. We, yes, not only that, but, you know, when Frank goes to see the father, the father says, but the way he butchered yeah. wife and the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the, the strange part of it is, and I hadn't thought about it until we start talking about it, this was his first kill and the husband must have come home and exactly. he was interrupted. Yeah, and they mentioned that. Yeah. yeah, they do mention it later on, but it yeah. didn't kind of click that that was the first, that would have been the first. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's, uh, it doesn't immediately, but yeah, Frank does mention that and that the husband doubtless interrupted the guy's attack on the wife. And so he found yeah. his wife, uh, you know, on the floor of their kitchen with her voice box cut out. And he tried to uh, drive her to the hospital, you know, and blood was just getting everywhere, and she died in the car, and that's when the cops found him. And so they quite understandably just assumed the husband did it, because there was blood all over him, and I assume she had been stabbed using a knife from the house. We're not told, but that's the kind of thing that you just assume factored into their thinking. Yeah. You know, like it's reasonable it to assume it, that. Yeah, it wasn't an unreasonable assumption that he did. Assumption yeah. that they made, and Frank never, never calls when they talk to you know. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not. But he insists that he's going to go and see the guy. Yeah. So um, he goes to see. Him. Oh, and by the way, while all this is happening, we're continuing to see Mike Starr's mo, which is driving the women out to a campsite in the middle of the woods, wrapping them in plastic and covering them with leaves so he can keep them for himself to talk to. Because, and this is the key element, he needs a woman to listen to him and let him talk. Yes. And the only way he can do that is by killing a woman first, which also gets out his massive amounts of rage, which we'll get into. Oh, yes. Ooh. Well, I mean, this is, this is clearly, clearly again, the, the end of, um, what's his face? Ed, uh. Oh yeah, it's the Ed Kemper story. 
It's yeah. very explicitly the Ed Kemper story. The Ed Kemper story, yeah, right? Like it is, I mean, the only detail that they've changed about the Ed Kemper story is that they have removed any implication that his mother was monstrously abusive for his entire life. But that's it. Uh, 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 if you do not think that that woman was monstrously Oh, no, not, not in the same way, though. Oh, okay, not in the same way. No, no, you're right. Uh, obviously the woman, I mean, obviously this, this Quebecois woman was horribly abusive to the Mike Starr character. That's clear. But I'm just saying it is uh, of a different character than the abuse that, um, Ed Gamper received. Yes. But yes, it's, it's not the same kind of abuse. Like there's no, they left out the stuff about him being, you know, locked in a basement his entire childhood. Yeah. You know, all of that stuff. But yes, her, she is, they do a really good job of establishing the abuse and her yeah. being unbelievably creepy with her son. Oh, it was just. Oh yeah, it's clear. It's there, but it's they've changed clear. it from locking him away and treating like him like he's a monster to implicit sexual abuse. Yeah. Like that's the, that's the difference between the Ed Kemper story and the Mike Starr character in this one. Yeah. Yeah. Treating him like a monster for his entire life until he became a monster. Seems to be the, uh, the Ed Kemper story, whereas here, it's clearly implied sexual abuse. Yeah. 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 I mean, this, this, oh, God. I mean, this whole episode. It's, it's monstrous. It's it's hard to watch this week. Oh, (laughs) it's hard to watch the mother. It's hard to watch him talking to these women. Oh, God. Talking to the body. It's so awful of, like, him needing to be hurt, like, him just so desperate to have anyone listen to him in his life. And it's just, like, uh being unable to communicate with a real woman because, again, he's trapped in this relationship, quote-unquote, with his mother. Oh, yeah. It's just, like, oh, my It's It's a rough episode. Like, it's all there. And it doesn't even get, like, you don't even get really any relief with his in-laws because you have Catherine's sister (laughs) who is constantly telling her that she's unhappy. Yep. And her marriage isn't, you know, she's she's definitely alone and this marriage is not good. Yep. (laughs) But very, oh. Yeah, the constant uh, from passive aggression to regular aggression. Coming yeah. from the, uh, from the, the sister. sister. Oh my god. Yeah, you know, just but- non-stop judgment. So yeah, as you say, like, the, the other half of the episode, which is all, uh, the, the family, even there, like, there's no relief. There's no relief there at all. Mm-hmm. Catherine and Frank against the world. Yep. Well, and Jordan. Got it. And Jordan, yes, but that then, you know, and the mother sort of makes the remark about Jordan should have a, you know, Catherine says, yes, Jordan's going to go talk to the dog at the kennel. Yep. Which is fine, right? But the mother uh, doesn't think much, of, the grandma doesn't think much of that. <laughs> no, no, Jordan needs a sister or a brother. Mm-hmm. Well, we already know that that's never going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> We have had long discussions about that. Yep. Um, no, I mean, this episode was for... <laughs> it's always... 
it's always the situation if I watch these episodes and I go, but how did this ever get on TV? I know! <laughs> but it's, but I gotta say, watching this episode, especially the killer stuff, man, it, it really does feel like Criminal Minds is just Millennium Light. <laughs> yes, it is Millennium Light. It like, really is. No. It's like, we found a way to make Millennium, you know, accessible to Palatable. the public. Yeah, well, yes. Palatable is a much better word than I used. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, they're, they're, they're like, okay, here's this show Millennium. It's one of the best American TV shows of the 90s, right? Maybe maybe longer than the 90s. Like, it's it's an incredible TV show. Remember you can't Wise really Guy watch it. Wise Guy, well, I think of Wise Guy as an 80s show, but you are right. Uh, yeah. The only 90s part of Wise Guy was season four, which we had a critical reassessment of, but it's still season yeah. four. Yeah. You know? Uh, but it's like, of the 90s, this is a much better show than The X-Files. Right? Oh, look, but The X-Files is- was palatable. Yes, this is what we talked about already, but this show is just driving, constantly driving. Yeah. Push. Push, push. It never lets you go. It doesn't even show you. Like criminal minds sometimes showed you things. Grosser things than you get here. But it is never in criminal minds is it terrifying like this. No, and it's the tone of this. Yeah, oh, the music. The music, the cinematography, the the lighting. Like there is this unrelenting bleakness to the tone that Criminal Minds would never attempt. And that's what makes it watchable. Like, that's what makes, like, you know, we joke about, like, the flat lighting in episodes of Criminal Minds. But you know what? That makes it easy to digest, the flat light. I mean, it really does. It makes it safe. It makes it easy to digest, you know, like a soap opera. Okay. But it's like, okay, and when you talk, when we talk about the lighting and I'm going, when you see Frank yeah. in the FBI office with oh. the four FBI agents mm-hmm. sitting around the table, we do it twice. Yep. Uh, but the first time, right? And you see it on an upper, upper level of a building. Yep. It's all, they're all surrounded in glass. Mm-hmm. You have the skeptic and then you have the other guys. And then you have this question about the Millennium Group. The one guy says, okay, you know, like they're willing to listen. Yeah. Like the, they, they got the one skeptic guy, right? But the yeah. rest of the, you know, when Frank explains, well, yeah, okay, you know, yes, there's some differences, but there's all this. But fundamentally, all- he interviewed the guy, right? And he said there is no, um, right. That he, he fits no behavioral precursors for for this kind of brutal murder. Yeah, you can yeah. say it's relatively common for guys to murder their wives, but this guy features none of the things we would expect to see. It's not the, like he only, he doesn't have a lot of, and they mockingly do the whole, oh, so he didn't wet his bed and set fires and torture animals. And Frank's like, it's beyond that. Like, every part of his life is a completely average upbringing. You don't just turn into a monster who could do this in such a brutal and specific way and a way requiring medical knowledge that this guy didn't have. Yeah. So Frank's idea is 
look for other victims matching this criteria. Yeah, which is not only the, the criteria, but the key ends up being the larynx. Yeah. The voice, right? In all of these, all of these cases. Yeah. Everything, every way that they are. The killed, throat was always crushed. Uh, the first time crushed. the larynx was cut out. The second time, um, the, no, all subsequent Hyoid. times they were crushed. Yeah, either the hyoid bone, anything. Crushed or strangled. Crushed. Yeah. yeah. Oh so, my god. So they end up with, what? Five four, victims? Six three, victims? It's four, a lot of victims. They end up with a lot more. Yeah. But initially they end up with three more victims. Mm-hmm. And then we had the, the son's wife. Yeah. That's and I think there were about five or six pictures at least. Mm-hmm. And when we looked at the wall... Yeah, he's got... Uh, now, to be fair, a lot of those women are probably women he was just stalking and planning to kill, but... Oh, no, no, because... No, no, this is what I was going to say. No, 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 it's not that. Okay. It's that It's that you can see where some of the pictures have been pulled off. Yeah. There are empty spaces. So those are the ones, mm-hmm. I'm assuming. That, that he has uh, actually killed. Yeah, that he has actually Yeah, killed. that makes sense. I think that tracks logically. Yeah. Um, you know, and when we get to that wall, we see pictures of Catherine there, but we've already been aware that Catherine's in the picture yeah. earlier on. And in fact, but, when we see Mike Starr's first meeting with Sunglasses Man, who, yeah. spoiler alert, pretty sure that's a demon. Uh Oh, for sure. Sure don't remember the don't remember the second season premiere that well. I think it's safe to say that guy's a demon. Uh he goes to the way to point out that like Frank is like I wanted you to wait for this one. Mike started wait to kill this woman until Frank was in town. Yeah. Like cuz he is yeah. planning for this to be the wrap up of this guy's career by involving Frank in the situation. Okay. Now here's here's the uh, let me go back to the FBI for a second, please. Because what happens? The other thing is, is that one of the guys after they're finished says, "Can I ask you something that's not related?" Yeah. And Frank, says, yeah. And so he asks him, and he says, "Well, you know, we're trying to figure out my what." He said, "You know, he said the world is going to hell in a handbag." Oh my God, my favorite line in the episode. Okay, and then the one guy goes. So the one guy goes, yeah, my, my wife thinks it's what it's something in the water. Hormones in the beef. Oh, hormones in the beef. Yeah. And then the other guy says, yeah, but the Millennium Group, I understand, seems to think that there's something else that's Some play. kind of an external right? evil force. Force, yes. And so what do you think, Frank? And Frank says, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. I think it's the meat. It's not the beef. I know. <laughs> my favorite line in the episode, bar none. Yeah, but when you look at that, like, it is, like, and the lighting in that, like, the, yeah. and the setting in all of that, and all the FBI agents in oh, their yeah. suit, of course, and Frank Perrin is, because he's not an FBI agent anymore. Nope. Remember, he had to have had all those black suits. Oh, yeah. Um, so it is, uh, which is why you could never believe criminal minds. It was only Hotch who looked like an FBI. Who <laughs> the agent. only one of them who dresses like an FBI agent. Leading to, by the way, the most intentionally fun, unintentionally funny, um, uh, line in the history of criminal minds, the time that Derek and Emily show up at somebody's doors 
somebody's door and, uh, <laughs> and the character, uh, makes a, uh, says a line about, you know, them being Jehovah's Witnesses. And I'm like, because in this, that's what you would say if two FBI agents showed up at your door. But it's a guy in a t-shirt and jeans. And a woman in a, like, casual jacket and top. They do not look like Jehovah's Witnesses. No, and, and they need, but if they had showed up in their suits, they would have looked like Mormons. Or Mormons, like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, whatever. Yeah, but the point is, it's like they, you know, there's this uniform. There's this uniform that the, your, the FBI is supposed to have that, as you say, only Hotch wears. And, and then Emily, when she takes over, starts to wear. Even after she takes over, she still doesn't wear like the completely formal. Like she's never as formal as Hotch is when she, even after she takes over. Season 16. Oh, season 16. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, she's out of it. Yeah, but she, she's been running the the thing for five years at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, we're not here to talk about costuming or criminal lines. But it (laughs) is worth noting that you're right. It is worth noting that the FBI has this distinct uniform. And, and Frank is he, now, like, used to be one of these people, but now he's out of place. And the costuming is telling part of that story. Yeah, like, it is, it is a very, it is a very, in, like, there is nothing missed no. in Millennium. No, 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 no. Every little thing was Every out. detail they thought through. Yeah. Yeah, completely. No, we're kind of inter, inter, interweaving our, mm-hmm. you know, our analysis of the whole first year with this episode because this episode is actually the culmination yep. of the year because there's Frank, okay, he's not willing to come out and say, yes, Satan is doing this. But right? he's now he'll, open to it. But he's, but as he's going, he won't say no, but, you know, definitely not the beef. Well, what's interesting is, um, that we go back to what has this season been about, and it has been about the perversion of domesticity, right? Yeah. And, like, Frank, the first thing Frank says about the guy is, like, he chooses his victims, who are these women who live in suburban, upper-middle-class homes, right? And that is where this guy lives. And this guy lives with his mother in a perverse parody of... You know, a domestic life. Right? Uh, right? Of this, and at the same time, you know, Frank spends the whole episode failing to be with his family. They're on vacation. They're supposed to be going to the, you know, the, the aerospace museum and the Smithsonian, right? Like, but he misses all of that because he's going to see a guy in jail and then he's going to see the FBI and then he's going to see cops to get files on cases. No, he is... Well, he goes to a crime scene. And he, he goes out to the crime scene. Of uh, one of the a victims. A three-year-old... Well, he goes out to the three-year-old crime scene where this guy supposedly killed his wife. You know, like it's, uh, and then find, and then they find out about the, um, the woman, one of the other women's bodies being reported. No, it's not the guy's wife at that crime scene because remember the cops found the guy's wife. This is a different case. The guy, they, the guy had his wife in the car with him. Oh, right. You're right. You're right. It's the other case. Yeah. But they go out to the it's woods and it's not the, the crime scene. It's the, um, it's the dump site that they go Burial. to. Yeah, the dump site. Yes, 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 the dump site. Uh, they go to the dump site 
and find out that it was recorded and the minute reported and the minute Frank finds out that the guy didn't leave his name, he's like, Oh, that was the killer wanting the body to be found. Yeah. That is Frank's in immediate, immediate impression. Like he knows right away what that that was Mike Starr wanting the body to be found. And then later on we hear him talking to the latest victim and saying, Well, I guess it's time for you to be found. Ugh. Oh my god. And then, that is- yeah, yeah. But then, when Frank decides to uh, to do the thing of saying the guy was probably gay, yeah, to get to make him angry and get him to call back. Oh, probably gay and a moron and a moron. Oh my god! Uh, one thing I pointed. Uh, one thing I think you could have pointed out, though, that it slightly bothered me that they didn't. <laughs> okay, is. I feel like, I mean, and it's for a show that rarely misses anything. I feel like you should have checked. Like, we are specifically told that it was a weird, um, that it was a weird time to be camping. Because the season hadn't start, really started yet. It's like the first week of the year because it's still really cold. And he likes to go when it's cold because the bodies don't decompose right away. Yeah. Right? But I'm like, why are they not checking the license plates of every single person who rented a campsite. Now that actually that's that is interesting because yeah, you're right. Yeah. Cuz like, they would have found his truck right away. They would have found his truck right away. Now, I mean, there could be a list of 30 guys to go through and, you know, yeah, but, but that's what FBI is there for. That's exactly, right? Yeah, it's it is a weird oversight for a show that's been very good about doing a realistic depiction of how these investigations run. Like, the yeah. show's generally really good about that, so them forgetting that, you know, they should be asking okay. the park ranger. And then all you would have to say is, oh, well, it turned out that this, uh, we have a listing of a blue camper van, but the license plate, when we searched it down, was taken off of, like, a red pickup truck and it was stolen, so it's a dead end, but this was definitely the killer's car. There, that, that, you know, two lines of dialogue would have solved this problem. Yeah, because, because they do, and the funny thing is, okay, yeah, the perfect place to put that is when Frank is looking at the map, yeah. doing the geographic exactly. profiling. Right? So he's looking at the map and saying that this, this guy keeps going further and further north mm-hmm. in these campgrounds. Yeah. And so, yeah, that would have been the perfect And yeah, you place just right, right in there drop in that the cops have located um, you know, a lice, a car that's been in a couple of places, but when we looked at the license plates, it was a stolen license plate, so it's not a good lead, but we know he drives this kind of camper van. Yeah, that's all, and that would have taken another, so yeah, you're right. It would have been two lines of dialogue. It's not a big plot hole, but it did bother me a little. Yeah, okay, so you've got, that would have been about 30 seconds a minute of dialogue, and maybe this thing was really, really tight. Really tight, tight. yeah, okay, you make a good And it was in there, I like, no, I mean, it's a packed episode. I'm not going to pretend it's not a packed episode. This is packed, I, like, because when I think about that, okay, yeah, that would take up, I I hadn't thought about that, it didn't bother me, but I didn't think about it, so you have a a minute, say, say it would take about a minute. Oh, it wouldn't take a minute, but even 30 seconds is at a premium. 30, Because it's like, where would I, and it, you ask me, where would you cut 30, 45 seconds out of this episode? I don't know. It's a tight episode. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm thinking off the top of my head is that they might have had to cut 30 yeah. seconds. 
And so, and that would have been the first thing to go. You're absolutely right. Yeah, because it, but, you know, I mean, we're making all sorts of excuses for the one mistake where it's a minor mistake. It is, it is the least, it is not a big deal at all. No, no. Oh my God. But yeah, um, so he does call, right? He does call from a, uh, from his job as a nurse. He is a registered nurse who works with, um, uh, elderly. El- the elderly. Yes. And Eld- pointedly elderly women. Yes. He's a visiting, he, he, he works probably for something like in Canada, we have something called the Victorian Order of Nurses. Exactly. Like he goes, you know, he goes to people, health. he is what the correct term is, a home care nurse. Yes. He goes in and he checks on people. He makes sure he takes their medication. He changes them. He, you know, takes people in and out of wheelchairs. This is what he does. Yes, this is a... And he has a woman there that he shows off all of his victims to in one of the creepiest elements of the episode. Oh, yeah. She's, um, as I said, this is the Magnolia Seymour... Philip Seymour Hoffman role. Yeah, exactly. That's his job. That's what he does. He goes, he has some clients mm-hmm. and he will go, but this, this is where it's, this is the mother of the demon. Yeah. We'll just call him the demon. Yeah. Seeing um, him showing up with the glasses, just suddenly being there in that scene is very eerie. It's very eerie, and he's, he shares the pictures, and then, mm-hmm. and then he goes, okay, well, I want them back. I will take your copies and send them to you the regular way. I know. And, Ew. you know, and then he shows the pictures, and, of course, the woman is completely gaga. Oh, yeah. She's she's completely out of it. She has, I mean, he can talk to her. He can confess See, all of his crimes he, to her. It doesn't matter. She doesn't, she doesn't even hear what he's saying or yeah. understand anything. She doesn't even understand the pictures that she's looking at. Nope. You know, and he's actually very, the funny thing is, is that he's actually very good he with her. He seems to pretty, be a pretty good nurse. Yeah, a really good nurse with yeah. her till he sees something on the TV and she won't stop talking yeah. and he yells at her. But that's the only indication that there can be stressors, but it's because they're reporting that, they that he is likely, <laughs> I mean, I love the, the joke about linguistic profiling using yeah. language and slang known to be used in the gay community of the. <laughs> Frank, Frank set that up. Oh yeah, no, yeah. The, the joke about linguistic profiling was very funny. Yeah. I thought. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And then he angrily calls and he yeah. angrily calls from his client's house. Yeah. So he's easy enough to track. Yep. Yeah, they get they track him right away. He's not thinking about how long. Uh they go to his house, he knows it's over, so he kills his mother. Yep. And Frank shows up. Frank and the guys show up and the mother's already dead and we don't see what happens, but if you know the Ed Kemper story, but uh, yeah. it's the details for people who know the Ed Kemper story because you see in the background, the implication is that this woman's head has been cut off yeah. because of the way they film it, and you hear a garbage disposal going on in the yeah. background, oh. and that is the note from the True Life Ed Kemper story that he had cut out his mother's larynx and ground it up in the garbage disposal. Yeah. Oh, just, oh, you know, yeah, you're just going, and Frank 
goes over and turns it off and, and the guy. I know. Says, well, yes, you know, you, we're finally together. Yeah. But it, it is, um, you know, it is, it was a horrible, and I do not think his intention was to go and kill Catherine. Yeah. And he went upstairs and his mother started in on him and in on him and in on him. Mm -hmm. He already had a knife. So he oh, yeah. just got out of his he couldn't, I mean, it, it's the Ed Kemper story. He finally, he finally yeah. attacked the target he had been, he had been angry at all along. Yeah. He finally, you know, it, he, he just, finally, yeah. you know, snapped and did the violence he had been fantasizing, fantasizing about this whole time. Yes, because we know because he, from the basement of his house, where he took off, because he did take Catherine's picture oh, yeah. off. After saying oh, yeah, he no, was ready. he wasn't the one that was going to do, do, kill Catherine because he said she's not a good listener. Yeah. He didn't initially look at her picture. It was given, he was given about four or five different pictures. Mm -hmm. And he dismissed Catherine because she's not a good listener. She's not a good listener. It doesn't matter that she was Frank Black's wife yeah. because he did know she was Frank oh, yeah. Black. No, no. Like obviously the demon has him fully informed about what's going on. Yes. And so what happens is, is so he takes Catherine's picture off because he's going to do that because now he's mad at Frank. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. Like, like he's already, now this is a distortion of his thinking. Mm -hmm. Because now he's not going, he's going to take Catherine to get back at Frank. Yeah, because it's not about his own pathology anymore. Yeah. It's not about his yeah. own anger and needing these women to listen and getting back to his mother. Now he's just angry at Frank. But as you say, then his mother, you know, says one last thing too far and... Because he is in this headspace, because he is just nothing but fury at this time, he finally goes after the woman he's really been angry at this whole time. Yeah, I mean, it is, from, you know, it's just like, you just sort of watch this, and you can just see it, and you say, thank God. So you have this massive relief. Yeah. Thank God Catherine's okay. Yeah. Because she gets the phone call, you're sure. Mm -hmm. Because afterwards, Frank is off at the house. And there's a new nurse there, and she says, well, I just replaced so-and-so. Oh, okay, that's the guy whose house that they went, you know, so they go to his house, mm -hmm. right? And that's when they find him and the, and the mother. Yeah. But, you know, it's like some pretty stressful it's stuff. It's tense. You know, that because we know, we now know what those Polaroids mean. Yeah, and exactly. The steps of the murder. Like, going yeah. from, he is given the scouting report by the demon, and he chooses yeah. a target, and then he goes and he kills her. Yeah. And who knows what he have done if the, he had never crossed the demon. Yeah. Like, come if the across. demon had ne came across the demon, and the demon had never entered into his life. Like, right? Mm -hmm. It's... It's quite an episode. Oh, and then uh they go to the airport to fly home and Catherine gets kidnapped. Yeah. And you just know it when Frank takes because the thing is is if Frank hadn't taken Jordan and put because she was asleep. Yep. We said no, I'll take her and put her in the back of the car. Mm -hmm. While you wait for the luggage, right? If she had take kept cat kept Jordan. Yeah. He wouldn't have kidnapped her. Probably not, was, no. She was alone. Yeah, she had that moment of being alone, and that was all he needed. And yeah. that's the cliffhanger we end on. 
Yeah. That Finally, the demon has made his move, and Catherine has been kidnapped. Oh. And we know, we don't know what's going to happen to Catherine, but we know she won't be killed the way that... Well, no, like, because, yeah, that's not... No, no, we know that something else is going the, on, yes. It's the demon that killed her. Kidnapped that, that her. Kid- yeah, yeah. No, no, we, we know something else is going on that is yeah. not related to the Mike Starr situation. Yeah. Because Completely. the demon was just had just recruited Mike Starr. The yeah. demon has his own game to play, and that's going to come up in the start of Season 2. Nope. <laughs> Which will be in two weeks. Uh, but, yeah... It's a hell of an episode. Oh my God, is it a hell of an episode? I tell you, they started off with a bang and they ended with a bang. Yeah. Oh it was, my but God. But just this was so because it should have, it did have what in another TV show would have been, um, sort of relief moments. Yeah. Like in the FBI office and stuff that could have been. Like, but just the way it's They filmed. don't know. The, as you say, the way they filmed, the way it's presented, they don't let you off the hook. No. Ever. Even with, and nobody's dissing, and Frank's just fine with this sheriff, you know, mm-hmm. that takes out to the, one of the crime scenes. Oh, where yeah. They had, you know. There's and, none of those scenes of them, you know, disrespecting the local law enforcement, none of that stuff. Yeah, and even no the No jokes FBI at anybody's at expense. No, 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 nothing is, no, and, uh, as I say, Frank isn't, uh, isn't dissed except for that one guy. Well, know? yeah, but I mean, even that guy is just, you know, a little skeptical true. about the fact that yeah. Frank left to go make big money in the, uh, yeah. private sector. And, and Frank goes, not yet. Not yet. Oh my God. But yeah, the Millennium Group. Oh. Given how much money the Millennium Group spends. Yeah. They have their own pathologists. Exactly. I don't think they're, I don't think people are being paid they huge salaries. No. I think everything is going into technology, shall we say. Exactly. Like information hunting. Well, no, and they have their own, yes, they have their own, um, infrastructure, but that's because they, they're spending all of their money on having this infrastructure. Infrastructure that they need and this, and yeah. there, there is no billionaire at the top of the Millennium Group getting rich off of running the Millennium Group. No, and that's pretty clear. Yeah, that's, as we go, as we go forward, we're going to talk about the Millennium Group's resources again. Yeah, uh, that's definitely going to come up. All right, so, <laughs> oh my God, this uh, this season of television is is fantastic. I think if for no other reason than because, and you tell me if I'm wrong about this. What the thing? That, one of the things I find so fascinating and compelling about Millennium is when you start an episode of Millennium, like I don't know that you know what you're going to get from week to week. You really don't know what you're going to get. Like think about Criminal Minds again. Every now and then they take a risk with an episode and do something weird with an episode, but with yeah. with uh, with Millennium, it's like there isn't an idea of what a Millennium episode is. Except that Frank Black is going to be exploring something awful. Something yeah. that's dark in the world. 
But other than the knowledge that that is going to happen, I can't predict what any given episode of Millennium is going to be about. Can no, you? and even, even when you read the summaries, like this is one area where you could read the summaries on Amazon and still have absolutely no, no idea what you're getting. Yeah. How it is going to play out. Play out. Like, you know, I mean, they, the episodes sound like they could be, some of the, the things sound like. They could be an episode could, of Criminal Minds. Yeah. An episode of Criminal Minds. Uh-uh. That That's not what you're going to get. You know, doomsday cult of teenage telemarketers brainwashed by their mysterious monstrous late leader, but. That was such a oh, strange oh, episode. That was a weird episode. Yeah. That was oh, a very weird so, episode. You know, dead letters. Oh, jeez. Dead letters. The episode about how, you know, uh, not everybody can hack it in this line. <laughs> oh my god, dead letter was, that was a rough episode. That was just terrible. Yeah. Oh. oh but yeah, oh. like, look at the episodes, but then you get walkabout. Yep. You know, walkabout with is all about drug trials and Prozac. Right? You know, I mean, yeah, you go through it, right? Well-worn lock, the wild and the innocent. Like, you don't know what you're going to get week to week. And then you and get weeds. Oh, weeds. And then you get, I'm sorry, but then you get uh Dennis Hoffman, our Brad Dourif episode. Oh, my God, the Brad Dourif episode, you know, about the uh about the flood that is going to happen May 5th. May 5th, 2000. Oh, where are you going to be on May 5th, 2000? In the air. Well, uh, yeah, he's uh, going to be in Idaho. Oh, man, I know. Hey, at least we know where they're going to be. And I would think that the only, the only one that, like the thin white line is pretty normal. Okay. It's still and, really know, good mean, though. As you say, I, I mean, know. but that's the thing, is you're right. It's, it's the one that's closest to being just a normal episode of Criminal Minds, but as we said at the time, it is elevated by its last minute. Yes. Absolutely. It is, it is transformed into art by its last minute. Last minute. I, and it was a stunning last minute. Yeah. And I would never have seen anybody else do that. To actually switch you into feeling sorry for this monster. Horrible monster. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the power of the show. Yeah. That it, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, these are all, these are all humans. These monsters, you know, we want to think of them as separate from us, but they're all humans. <laughs> they all have these concerns. As horrible as that might be. They're not, we can understand where they come from. But yeah, that was a rough episode. Yeah. And then we get the big two-parter. Uh, Lamentation and, uh, Powers, Principalities, Thrones, and Dominions. Yeah. That introduces us to the world of angels, angels and demons and refuses to answer any of our questions and is just completely unsatisfying to watch. Yes. 
best to keep you watching the second season. Well, no, but I mean, maybe I'm crazy. <laughs> I know, it, I know maybe I'm overselling <laughs> this, but I think the fact that they went out of their way to structure, um, powers, principalities, thrones, and dominions in the least satisfying visually way possible is a key to what he wanted to accomplish with this show. As crazy as my my conspiracy theory there might sound, I really think that this is like, if you want to understand what they want to accomplish with this show, a big part of it is not letting, not ever letting you off the hook. Well, no. Look at the cliffhanger at the end of... Look at the... But I mean, more than looking at the cliffhanger at the end of the episode, <laughs> look at how the Mike Starr storyline wraps up. Oh. Like, yeah. he is... You know, they they taunt him until he kills his mother, and then at that point, he's fine getting caught. Yeah. You know? Just like the real-life Ed Kemper story. It's not a satisfying catch. No, he's just lying He's done. There. He's, he's done. He's done. He doesn't, he doesn't walk out. He doesn't run away. No. He doesn't hop. Nothing. He's done. The end. He, there's nothing else to do. Yeah. Like this is what he's been working up to this whole time. Now he's done. So he's just waiting for them yeah. to come and get it. You yeah. know? And I mean, it's not, it's not a satisfying resolution. I mean, the closest we get is then Frank gets thanked for getting the kid out of jail, which he does. Like they do, they do wrap up that plot line. He does get the kid out of jail, but at the same time, where that's immediately followed by Catherine getting kidnapped. Cause they don't want, you know, catharsis. They don't want you yeah. to feel satisfied. And what, it, what makes it even worse is that the mother of the boy, who's always believed he was innocent. Yeah. Has created, of course, a, um, uh, I have one right in front of me. Uh, a, a, uh, origami. Oh. For, for, for Jordan. Yep. And Catherine's holding it at the airport. Mm-hmm. And Frank goes to pick Catherine, like when Frank has the car and has gotten to the gate. Yep. And he walks in and he can't see Catherine and he looks on the floor and, and there's, there's the origami the- piece, which is the evidence of something good happening has now been the proof yeah. that something awful has just happened. Awful. Yeah. You know, I mean, again, we never get, you never get a moment of peace on this show. Never. Oh. Oh never, my never. God. So here's, here's a question. Uh, I looked it up and so I think the implication is that the guy running the, the telemarketing thing was a demon. Mm-hmm. And oh, sure. I later, fa- I found out later, uh, right, that, um, that like, uh, that there's this like, how do I put this? Um, now they bring somebody back as one of the demons and somehow Satan got behind me, but it's not him. And that makes me really angry. So I'm like, you could have confirmed it by having him be one of the demons. And somehow <laughs> Satan got behind me. But no, yeah. uh, when they bring somebody back, it's, um, the guy who played the, the doctor, the evil murderous doctor from, um, in Lamentation. But it's not supposed to be the same character because the doctor was explicitly not a demon. He's yeah. the guy who has been shaken to his core. Like he is a monstrous serial killer and he has been shaken to his core by encountering a demon. 
Yeah. By finding out that there are things in this world that make him look like nothing. And, uh, I did love that about that character. But no, he, he plays one of the demons in, um, uh, Somehow Satan Got Behind Me. Yes, well, we're but not it's not the same character. We'll talk about that when we talk about it, but I just thought it was worth mentioning to you now. Let's not start talking about season two right now. Yeah, no, we're going to be talking about season two soon enough. Yeah, like, so here's the hard question, because I think I'm ready to say right now, I don't think there is a worst episode of Millennium Season 1. I don't think you there's know. a worst episode. There I, are a few episodes that are... As I say, a really, really, could be really, really good episodes of Criminal Minds. Yeah. Well, okay. do you know what I want to say the low point is? And I mean, it's not much of a low point. I don't want this to sound too critical. Um, uh, open, open house, or whatever it was called. Yeah. You know, about the guy who kills people at open houses. Wide open. Wide, wide open. open, thank you, yes. Uh, that's it. I think that's the low point of season one. And as we said at the time, fantastic episode of Criminal Minds. Yeah. yeah. But, you know. Then, that would be seconded by the horse episode. Yeah. Another fantastic episode of Criminal Minds. Although yeah. I will say, the thing about the horse episode is, by virtue of it having more to say, Broken World is the title of the horse episode, I just remembered. Uh, by it, By virtue of it having a ton to say about gender relations. Yeah. I think that elevates it over um wide open. Because wide open, which I liked, uh is not it's not trying to say something more the way Broken World is trying to say something more. Well, even when we talked about wide open, right? Yeah. Well, this was the problem with wide open to boot is that I think Wide Open isn't as good as it would have been because we already discussed this, and this is why it is a low point, is that it was a rejigged episode. How do you mean? We are absolutely positive. Oh, yes, about the ending. It's like, how does this not end with them adopting that little girl? That's exactly it, right? (laughs) We've already talked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably the low point is because it had to be rejigged because for some reason... Well, that's not where they wanted to take the plot. Yes, that's not what they were going to be doing with the episode. That's not where they were going to take the plot. Yeah. And they have to rejig it on the fly, I suspect. It's it's how it feels. That's how it feels. And so consequently, right? Consequently, yes, it's still a good episode. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's... It's not as satisfying as it should be. Yeah, even though we keep complaining about how these episodes don't ever have a satisfactory... Satisfactory... Yeah, epi- ending. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of those things. Um, yes, and this daughter going into a foster care home when not, none of them wanted to do it. Um, what they think about foster care homes is unbelievable. And yet here we are, right? Yeah. <laughs> Send this little girl into a foster home mm-hmm. and not their home. I know. Right? It's so bizarre. It was so bizarre. And so I think that's why it's still a good episode. 
But yeah, that it, ending just leaves you being like, what did I just watch here? Yeah, what did I just, just watch? And so that's why it's sort of, if there is a low point, and we're not saying it's a bad episode, no. but yeah, wide open is it. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's still, it's the beginning of things, right? Uh, and it's also, it's really weird because just about every other family episode, household, home episode, safety episode, like the funny thing is, is this is about class more in some ways than it is about the it doesn't have the same after we watched it coming off well-worn law right yeah. and we watched it coming off blood relatives right right and we watched it coming off and it doesn't and wide open the serial killer plot the, well mm. i mean he isn't a serial killer yet because he didn't kill enough people. But but that's not important. Um, that's not important. Um, he is. It's just, and I tell you, yes, we get a little bit, but didn't get. I I still will go back and say I don't feel like I had enough of his backstory. Yeah. I suspect that some of the backstory would have mirrored. Something or other that they were going to correct with by adopting this little girl. Yeah. And that part of it had to be cut as well. Well, no, because he was a foster. <laughs> that was, that's the whole point of the episode is he never had a yeah. home. He was a foster child. He was abused by the farmhand and the, that's, the house yeah. he was sent to. Like it's all supposed to be an indictment of this guy who had no home and he had to destroy people's feelings of safety in their own homes. And I know. you're right. How does that not end with, how does that episode end with this kid being sent off to foster care? And I, because I remember, like, you tell me that every time you tell me that and I keep going, yes, but it doesn't, like, all of these yeah, episodes, you're right. mirror, there's always, there's always some mirror where the solution is Frank and Catherine find some kind of solution. Yeah. Like, how they're they're doing things differently or whatever. And that's, and that's just what, missing from this episode. Yeah, and I am sure that the original idea and it had to have been it had to have been mixed. Yeah. Very late in the process. After everything they talk about the foster home, they're going to send this little girl into a foster home? Yeah. No, it just it didn't make sense. It it doesn't it doesn't ring true. It doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um and it's very un- it's unsatisfying that, it's it's unsatisfying it's the only one and yet you know that deep down somebody just nixed that part of the plot, plot line I think you're right that. I think that's the only way to read that episode especially there, the ending of that episode we talk about we talk about it being a production issue and it could easily have been oh yeah this happened be an expensive show to run. Oh, yeah. And having a second child in there, even if Jordan's in only like a third of the episodes, having a second child in there would be a a complete, uh, like, uh, from a production standpoint, it would be a complete hassle. But, like, narratively, it needed to end that way. And also, yeah. like, you know, and it feels like we're adding insult to injury with them talking about how they should have two kids this, uh, there should be more kids in yeah. the house this week. Feels yeah. like we're adding insult to injury. Come on, guys. Yeah, you know, whereas 
if they brought the second one and then the grandparents, you could have seen a different conflict then. The yeah, with the adopted kid. Yeah, that would have been interesting. It would de- would have definitely been interesting. Yes, and I mean, they would have gotten because Catherine would have been able to, I mean, they would have been able to take care of this child. Oh, yeah. Through, through the all of the trauma that she was going to have to work it's through. It's literally Catherine's job. Yes. So, He's dealing you know, with this stuff. that's why. That's why, yeah, if we have to pick a worst episode, it is wide open. And as you say, it's not because of the cop content of the episode, it's because of the cop out ending. Yeah. And, and, um, I think it's just, and the funny thing is, is that in other shows, I would blame the writers. In this show, I'm going, nah, somebody else, somebody stepped in. Yeah. And screwed this show up at the last minute yeah. and they like did the best they could. Yeah. I, I think that's the only way we can read it. It didn't work, right? And yeah. that's all there is too, because all the other ones, like even the wild and the innocent, that was so good. Particularly when you get to the next one, the wild and the innocent. I know. <laughs> and where the girl lets her baby. Let's her baby go when she sees the life that the baby has. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was a mag that Wild and the Innocence a really good episode. Yeah, I know. So I'm sure. Yeah, if you're I, right. And if the people who made that weren't gonna make that mistake it just doesn't make sense that the people who made the Wild and the Innocent were gonna make that mistake with in open, wide open in wide open. You're right, you're right. It feels yeah, like that was the original plan, and it was a production issue. It wasn't a writing issue. Yeah, we said that then, but and we I no, but I mean, the more That's I think just, about it, the more it reinforces that I'm sure you're right about this. Yeah, and now when you get to this end, right? Okay, uh, it's just more can, clear. Yeah. So um, now I'm going to ask you the hard question: What's the, the best, best episode of season one? That's a tough question. Yeah, we can usually with criminal minds. It ain't hard. Did the answer is did Matt Goobler direct an episode this year? Then it's that one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it is generally not hard to find the best episode of Criminal Minds. Well, yes, except for whatever season it is, season five or something, where I'm going, but I don't think there is a best. Episode. Yeah, whichever season that was. Whatever season Where, it You was, can go back and listen to our season ender episodes in one time. We had a real one, one season, I don't remember which one it was, but it was relatively early, given the length of the show. We had a real hard time coming up with the best episode one season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Worst episode. Might have been five, might have been six. We had a hard time choosing the worst episode because all of them were so bad. Yeah. Or most of them were. There were so many really bad ones. Yeah. He went, Okay, let me look at this. Let me go. Like I'm. It's so weird that like this season we got their adaptation of Best Boys. Yeah. We've got which was fantastic in its own right. We got them in Criminal Mind, like them inspiring. uh, Probably. I love you, Tommy Brown, and maybe the Thirteenth Step. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you can again. The the point is. They were all inspired by the movie Badlands. Which, by the way, uh, IMDb trivia for The Wild and the Innocent. Uh, <laughs> dumbest IMDb trivia ever. Uh, the title is a reference to the 1957 Western of the same... Uh, 
uh, you know, of the same title, I'm like, no, it's not. The title is a reference to the Bruce Springsteen song. Of course it's a reference to the Bruce Springsteen song. How could it not be? He wrote a whole album about the movie Badlands. <laughs> about, Nebraska. you know, Charles Starkweather. Nebraska. No, and it's called Nebraska. And it's amazing. Of course, The Wild and the Innocent is a reference to the Bruce Springsteen song and not some Western that I haven't heard of. Is it possible that the Bruce Springsteen ti- song title is a reference to the Western? Sure. I'm not the boss. I don't know how he titles his songs. We are not the boss. Exactly. You know? I love Nebraska. Oh, it's an amazing album. Of course it is. Oh, God, you guys, everybody, if you have never listened to Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska, just go and listen to it. Yeah, it's it's incredible. But yes, it's- 100%, uh, that's, that's what the title was a reference to, the Bruce Springsteen song. Uh, but yeah, like... <laughs> There were so many high points this year. Badlands. Oh my god. I don't know how you, you know, I, it, the bizarre part is, is that, like I'm looking at these titles and I'm going, yeah, they're all good. And then I, I keep going back to the end of the thin white line. I know. Like, are we going to say that like the, the generic serial killer episode is the best episode because it's so elevated a generic serial killer episode? I mean, maybe. Well, I, at least the last two minutes of it. No, just the last minute. The last minute of the show is the, it, it's weird I to say. Like oh, the last out. minute of the show is the best episode of the season. <laughs> the last minute of the thin white line. But I mean, I don't, I understand why you say that because the last minute of the episode is a statement of purpose for the whole friggin' show. Yeah. As all the lights go As out. As all the lights go out. And the man is just... And what? And his torture at the hands of the state is replaced by the much more, you know, metaphysical torture of knowing he is alone in the world. Yeah. Like, that's... That's amazing! And is this... Is this foreshadowing Frank's... Becoming what? alone in the world. Good question. I'm definitely not going to spoil season two for people. No, I mean, this is, this is truly, yeah. you know, like, it, it is, it's because it's really hard. Like, I love the Brad Dourif episode, oh, but it was God, so yeah. weird. It's so, again, I had to watch it twice just to understand what the hell was going on in that episode. Well, remember the Criminal Minds Brad Dourif episode. Oh, I know. Now that's a masterpiece. Yeah. You can do you can do things with Brad Dourif that yeah you know oh god he's he's in he's a, he's a like again an incredible performer nobody does it like Brad Dourif so there no nobody does it like Brad Dourif does my very first experience of Brad Dourif was wise Glass. oh my god he's incredible in that so. it's like a lot of people he's been he's been crushing it since one flew over the cuckoo's nest you know. Anyway, he's been out there crushing it every day since one flew over the cuckoo's nest when he started acting like he's I mean, yeah, he's Chucky. We all love that. He's Chucky. He's also one of the best actors, period. You know, just watching. He makes you believe everything. I mean, I wish they they hadn't copped out in um, uh, Voyager. 
Oh my I god, I know. Like, it, in this first season of Voyage, Star Trek Voyager, if people didn't see it, he played a guy who was a murderer. And he was stuck on the ship with them. And the problem was, like, he was essentially schizophrenic. And you're like, well, how do you deal with that in the future? Well, he has very specific medication. Medication that they, you can't make with the uh synthesizer. With the, uh, right? Yeah. And you couldn't get it in. And you in, couldn't get it in the Delta Quadrant or wherever they were. Yeah. You know, because they just, they can't, they don't know how to make it. The ship doesn't know how to make it. So what the hell do you do? As Starfleet with this guy who kills people and then they cop out by having him just save the ship and die doing it. Yeah. Like, oh no, they refuse to actually engage with this really thorny moral issue by, oh no, he heroically saved the ship and died so we don't have to like deal with this issue. Because, you know, I mean, it was, and because he was dealing with it and, and starting to deal with it. And of course, Tuvok, the Vulcan, was working with him. To try and calm his mind. And like, how was that going to affect, how was going into this mind of this murderer going to start all the time, going to start affecting Tuvok? Like, there's so many inter, like, a good show could have done such interesting things with this relationship and this character. But Star Trek Voyager, at its core, was not a good TV show. This is what I was going to say. BTW Voyager was the worst of the Star Trek. It really was. Uh, but he was on Babylon 5, and it was, uh, in many ways, uh, the best episode of Babylon 5. Uh, well, as we all know, I cried. Oh, it's so good. 3-4. Yeah. Oh, Season my three. God. Passing yeah. through Gethsemane. Uh, yeah. it's, it's as good as sci-fi gets. Yeah. Because it, it uses it, sci-fi technology to address a really, really, really interesting issue. Uh, because they don't have capital punishment in the future. No. And they it, just erase it, your personality. Yeah. And that but raises I, the question, well, how can God forgive you? Like, how can you confess to God if you don't know what you did? Yeah. And if you don't know who you are or who you were, like how yeah. can any of that be at, oh, it's such a good hour of television. Oh, it was, it, it is just, you mm-hmm. know, I, I watch it every now and then I'll watch it. You can right? just turn it on whenever. Yeah. Well, Never gets yeah. any worse. No. Uh, and, but, and it's, it's entirely down to his performance. I mean, it's big ideas, but if he wasn't incredible in the episode, you wouldn't have an episode. No, no, no. And that's the secret you know, of Brad Dourif. Yeah, that no, that is exactly it. And I again underrated. Oh, one of the most underrated actors. It it is. And like I said, he he gets plenty of he gets plenty of work. He's a horror icon. He literally yep. is Chucky, you know. <laughs> but like, how many people have seen Legion: The Exorcist Three? Yeah. You know, one of, one of the great performances of anybody ever. And it's like, we can't say enough. And, and he's great in this episode. It's just the weirdest guy in the world. It was such a weird episode. It's a strange it was, episode and he's so odd in it. Well, and the funny thing is, is yeah. that it is in some ways, if it, it is the most enjoyable or the least tense episode. Yeah. Because there is no threat. You think there's a threat because of the two women who kill themselves. The beginning, but it turns out, no, 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 no. This is not really 
the threat in the sense that we have come, it's almost like a relief episode. Yeah. That is still scary because... Well, I mean, the central question, what do you, like, what is it like being Noah? Yeah. What the hell do you do if you know the world is going to end? Yeah. Noah, again, everyone thought Noah was crazy right up until the rain started. That's the key. That's the line in that episode. And that's what episode, that is what that episode is about. It is about the idea that everyone thought Noah was crazy until the rain started to fall. Yeah. And that is the, the core question. If you are Noah, what the hell do you do with that information? Yes. It, when the year 2000 is a coming. Yeah. <laughs> right? You know, the stars are right. The planets yeah. are going to align. What are you going to do on May 5th, 2000? Yeah. It's a, it, it is, it's a good episode. It's a really good episode. But, and as I said, because you, you had that horrible wine like a hunting flame. Oh, and, God, that episode. And then you move into the thin white line. Which is a regular serial killer episode until you get to that final minute. Yeah. And then when you think about that final minute in the sense of the entire, um, season one. Yeah. It is almost, I'm beginning to think that it almost presages for, for t- tells whatever you want to call it. What this show is going to rest, become. What, not this what the show is going to show do. It's supposed to be about. Well, and I mean, and that's the weird part is it's weird that both of us are circling around the idea that the best episode of Millennium of the Season is the show that most typifies what the show wants to accomplish. And you're coming out on the thin white line because of that last minute. And I'm coming yeah. down on <laughs> Powers, Principalities, Thrones, and Dominions because of the cruelty of its editing and its refusal to let you off the hook even for a moment. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's weird. Well, those two episodes, well, we'll just have to say um yeah, that that those because what happens with principalities is that it also tells you yes, there is a true evil yeah. in the world. And Frank is finally getting to the point of going, "Oh dear." Yeah. Maybe there is something more, but he's still not dealing with it and he's still not believing it. Not really. Yeah. As he said, it, well, we, we, it certainly isn't the beef, right? I know. Such a but good line. Good. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, cause he's, he's not ready to admit that there are demons, but he's not that far away from it either. No. By the end of this episode. No. Oh, but what a, what an episode this yeah. one was and powers principalities thrones and dominions yeah. just the the depiction of angels and demons there is just they have a thing they're doing that barely involves us at all yeah and what i would what i would say right this the the angels yeah is what you get to in i I mean, I hate to bring up Supernatural. Well, I mean, Supernatural is very much Millennium for Babies. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it's got a lot more fun in it. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's, it's like, you know, 
if, hey, if teenage girls want to watch Millennium, boy, do we have a show for you. Yeah. Yeah. There's, and- there's cute boys. There's, uh, you know, there's minor threats, but you don't have to worry about it too much. There's an ongoing plot line with plenty of soap opera. And there's a really good chance if you keep watching that eventually, uh, Dean is going to kiss Castiel. I mean, it never ended up happening, but <laughs> they, they kept you on the hook. For a lot of years. A long time. And I will, no, but the only reason I'm saying that is because that's where you get what you get here. Yeah. Is what you end up getting in Supernatural is that the demons and the angels are not that different. No. They are just weird sides that have their own rules. That that barely involve us. That don't involve us and we're just, we're just ants on the playground. Yeah. And they're going to fight their battles mm-hmm. and they're not really interested. And that's what the angel basically is said. It's yeah. nothing to do with you guys. But I mean, it's that beautiful line where he's like, part. if, if your family is saved because of my actions, that has, that's of no interest to me. Yeah. No, no, no. That was just collateral. Yeah. Not damage. I but stopped him not. Good. I stopped him because he broke the rules, so I was allowed to stop him. Yes. That's it. Yeah. No. It's such a good episode. Yeah. You know, and, um, it is, it's, it's very, very, no, I mean, I can see, I can see these two episodes, but there isn't a bad episode here. No, not in the whole season. Not no. in the whole season is there a bad episode of television. The only one that we would have rewritten uh is probably not even the writer's fault. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's a producer's way. fault. But it, it does massively change the show going forward if you change that ending. And that's why they weren't willing to make a, uh, a massive change yeah. to the episode. And in the same way... Well, I always go back to, you know, them refusing, like, Derek not adopting that girl that time. Yeah. You know? Or not not changing when he finally comes out of the closet, the sexual <laughs> abuse closet. You know? oh, I mean, there, there were things that pissed us off about Criminal Minds. Just go listen to our five episodes. <laughs> our five episodes about it. Yeah. Oh, my it's God. But it's really interesting, right? Yeah. That, that you end up with, like, Maranatha. You yeah. Know, is, is this just giving you a glimpse of something that's coming? Well, it and is- I mean, I, I, again, Maranatha is the one episode of this season that I honestly feel like more than any other episode, uh, we've talked about how there's a few episodes that you could have just twist them around, and you could have sold this as an episode to Criminal Minds. Yeah. Maranatha is the one episode this whole year where you could have changed a couple of things around and sold this as an episode of The X-Files. Yeah. But they managed to make it fit with the themes of Millennium to the point where it really works as a great episode of Millennium. Yeah. And... It, it, it's like, you know, I mean, it's, I don't think it's one of the greatest, like, like the best episodes. No. You know, and in this, it is, like most of them, a very good chilling. And my problem with Maranatha, of course, is that 
all of these Russians look alike. <laughs> I I'm sorry, I shouldn't cough, but you're completely right. You know, I mean, it's just like sometimes I, I, I complain when, why the hell do all of these women look the same? You can't tell who's who. I know. In other shows, right? There's other shows. It happens. You know, and you, for a while, you're trying to figure out which one is which one. Because they're, they've all got dark hair. Yep. They all basically look the same. Have the exact same look. You know, and you're just going, okay, which one is the wife? Which one's the sister? Which which one's the one who works with? What? Yes, they, what? You know, okay. It can be sometimes confusing. It's bad in movies. It yeah. It's really movie. Oh, it is. Know? Well, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's definitely a problem. I mean, a, a problem? these people who are just like, come on, I need to be able to tell them apart a little. Yeah. It, it's a problem that Big Bang Theory did not have. That's true. No, all of those people are very distinct. I know, but it is weird. Uh, when you watch, you're like, oh, these are the same person over and over again. Thanks, guys. Uh, I will say this. Of of all of the episodes, I, I want to go on Powers, Principalities, Thrones, and Dominions. I understand when you say the thin white line. X-Files-est episode is by far Maranatha. Um, yeah. Criminal Minds-est episode. Like, what is the most Criminal Minds episode? Not counting, uh, not counting The Wild and the Innocent, which literally was remade by Criminal Minds. Yeah, um, Broken World, maybe? Probably Broken World, right? Yeah, the horses. The only distinct thing um, that keeps that from being a Criminal Minds episode is that Criminal Minds would never give you the unbelievably satisfying ending of a man getting stomped to death by horses. Yes. But honestly, normally the show Millennium wouldn't do that either. Like, I love that ending, but it does not fit with <laughs> the overall ethos. Yes, of the yes, show yes. Millennium. They, they actually got a satisfactory ending. You actually ending. got a satisfactory <laughs> ending. That is not their brand. No, I think Criminal Minds might have come closer to doing that. No, but I mean, not actually we have. have. We wouldn't have seen it. No. But we would have known that the guy, guy got his. Because Criminal Minds was always about... There was always a revenge element to Criminal Minds. Well, they do feel that way sometimes, but I do... I. I would argue that they would never go so far as to have a man actually get stomped to death by horses. Yeah. What about Covenant? Which one is Covenant? Like the name, that's a name. Yeah, I know. It was it was a terrible name. The sheriff who confessed. Oh my name. god, it's such a good episode. And by the way, proof positive, that is the that's their riding the lightning. And proof positive, as I say, that like you don't when you turn on and by the way, this is part of what hurts the show, I'm sure, is that when you turn on an episode of The X-Files, you know exactly what you're going to get. There's mm-hmm. going to be a monster, or somebody's going to, like, the episode is going to start with uh, a monster killing somebody, or someone is going to come to Mulder with proof of aliens. Like, those are the only two ways an episode of <laughs> X-Files can start. And depending on whether a monster kills somebody or someone comes to Mulder with evidence of aliens... You basically know how the rep- end of that, the rest of that episode is going to play out. But yeah. someone sitting down on a Friday night at nine o'clock and turning on, I think it was Friday, I don't remember, um, and turning on Millennium, they have no idea what they're going to get that week. And Covenant is a perfect example of that. Yeah, perfect example of that. 
as you say, it, it is, it is there. I mean, riding the lightning is a criminal minds episode. Oh, completely. I yes. Don't think, from my perspective, it's probably the best criminal minds episode ever. Period. In many ways, I, I, I might not go that far, but I do yeah. see why you, I 100% understand your thoughts on that subject. It took you a while to come to that. To come around on it. Honestly, I think I had to watch the Korean version before I came around to it. (laughs) And I was like, actually, I don't know what it was, but uh, something about the original rubbed me the wrong way. But watch the Korean version, then watch the original again. I'm like, okay, I get it. I get, I get how, I get how important this is and how good this is. And how, why I cry every time. Oh, every time. (laughs) But yeah. This, this is is so sad too. It's so it's sad. But horrible, horrible. It, but it horrible. doesn't give you the closure that Riding the Lightning does. No. Riding the Lightning, the story ends. That kid's going to have a good life. She's dead. Yeah. And that kid's going to have a good life and he's never going to know. Yeah. But and it, because this, it's Gideon who has to make the decision. Yeah. Come to come to terms with this because he knows her child is alive yep. and she did not kill her child. Yep. And, and he I, can he live with not letting like letting injustice stand. Yes. It's a and brutal he, episode. It's it's terrible and then you see him sitting there crying as he watches tears coming down his face, not sobbing. But yeah. as he watches the boy play. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it, 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 it is, this is the, that same thing, this poor sheriff, you know, who's, who screwed everything up in. Yep. It could have been a better, better episode if they had just come out and said, well, yeah, you know. Obviously he had the affair with Deputy Kevin. Obviously yeah. that's what's going on. But I honestly think, you're not allowed to say that on television in 1996. Yeah, this, yeah. So, uh, what happens, but what happens, but other than that, I mean, it is a powerful episode. Yeah, it when really it is. And because it's very confusing, it's, it's, it's set up, it's, yeah, no, it, it wouldn't even, yeah, I mean, it's set up so that you really, it, is almost, you might figure it out before Frank does, yeah. but probably not. No. It's, it, it is so difficult to figure out exactly what went on. It's only as you get bits and pieces, okay, this doesn't make sense. And then there's another bit that doesn't make sense. And you don't want, and the deputy is oh. under, understandably doesn't want to tell the truth because the sheriff has made him promise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the sheriff, I mean, his insistence, right, on paying the price for what he did. Yep. It's a powerful episode. It's a powerful, powerful episode. It could have been more powerful if it had been written, if it had come it, on ten years later. It and they've been, been allowed to say the subtext. Yeah, yeah. It would have been a truly Well, again, th- I, I keep saying it. I said it over and over again when we were watching the episode. That's how I remembered it. Like, I thought the stuff that I remembered it wrong. I remembered the subtext, not the text. Yeah. And it was, well, yeah, but already by this point, we were, I mean, after all, remember, remember that, well, first of all, it 
they did give us a hint by setting it in Utah. Yeah, that is a big clue. Only hint, that's a big clue. But, right, I mean, this is when I was, this is by the end of this point, this is after I have been working with all of these people with HIV and AIDS. Yeah. And all of that has shifted, shifted our perspective as a family. Even. Yeah. Of, and though, though just the way we think of it and the way we see stuff being coded. The way we see stuff being coded and yeah. of course the, um, the absolute horror of, um, the Sexism, I, I, it's not, it's not a strong enough word. Yeah. Abusive. Mm-hmm. Pathological. Yes, this monstrous treatment of women and their only role being and, mothers and, yeah. No, 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 I'm talking about gay, gay. Oh no, I'm, uh, the millennium, sorry, the, the gay thing is interesting, but also the way the woman is trapped in this role. Yes. Yeah, she is trapped. Yeah, that's. Absolutely. I, when, I and when the family disappears, all she can do is kill them. Yeah. You know? Like, it's it's both. The monstrous, you know, the monstrous homophobia, like, but trapped with misogyny creates a family annihilator. Yeah. And it, it was just, I mean, this, this episode, I should give it, one of my students did a, an essay on uh, Mormon women and um, how... Well, I mean, her basic point, she said, but there's only like three paragraphs about Mormon women in Susan Brownmiller's book. Yeah. And I said, that's enough. Do what you want with it. <laughs> you know, and you, you, yes, you can do it. And so she did this whole essay about Mormon women and she found these different studies. I will tell you that, um, there is, um, a Mormon, a researcher who decided to look at um incest victims in Mormonism. She read my paper. Uh right. which how it I think that was how it initially popped up. My paper was in her in her bibliography. Um, um and um she started how nobody nobody has ever researched this and talked about it, right? It's a very interesting article. But it's like at the most about six, eight years old. Yeah. Like Mormonism has been left to itself. Like I, you know, it's, it's this whole attitude. This is the problem of relativism. Mm-hmm. It has been the rel- problem of relativism all along that somehow or another, um, what is your, and I guess it comes down to what is your bottom line about humanity? Hmm. And if your bottom line is about humanity, anything that is going to destroy in any way, shape, or form anyone, psychologically, physically, or whatever, uh, under the guise of giving them hope. Yeah. In the next world, everything is going to be better, and you better be part of us so you can be saved and be in heaven the next time, or on the new earth, or wherever it is. Yep. You know, 
No, you you can't give people a pass for um, their abusive theologies. And Speaking of, yeah. let's talk about a little episode called Kingdom Come. Oh. <laughs> Literally an episode oh. about a man who was promised things by his oh. faith and lost his faith to the point where he feels like the only honorable thing to do is try and destroy religion before it destroy, before it ruins someone else. That's, that's exactly it. You yeah. know, kingdom. Oh, you haven't cut that up yet, have you? No, no, yeah, I'll uh, cut that out for you. I keep, forget, I keep forgetting it as, because it's not high priority. No, not no, no. Tight. Uh, just to our listeners, I want to put it on my blog, uh, which is completely separate from the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I wanted to just cut out our discussion of Kingdom Come. Yeah. Because people should watch it. I mean, I would tell my student to watch this episode and say, show you've done a whole bunch of stuff on Mormonism. Mm-hmm. Did you see it? Right? Ask her, tell her to watch it and then ask her afterwards. Um, but Kingdom Come, yeah. It, do I think that was you see, that, from my perspective, tell says a lot about now. Okay, let's fit it into the first season. Yeah. Because what this is saying, in some ways, now we're doing a meta-analysis of this entire season. Where <laughs> kind of, yeah. Because what happens is, is in Kingdom Come, what you find there is, first of all, you can never get rid of God once you've been given him. Yep. That's not exactly what they say, but right? It's the intent. But that's, that's, this, but that's the this, intent. That's the intent. And you can't get God out of your head. That mm-hmm. was That's here, but it's not just that. It is a God who doesn't give a flying you-know-what yep. about human beings. And then that ties in, of course. With tribulation. Yeah. With principalities. Mm-hmm. Right? And like there's a, there are ties in here. This is like getting a great big huge book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this whole season is well integrated. Yeah. All of these episodes when you start pulling them apart and looking at their themes, like each episode has does have a theme, even when it's more like a clear um, serial killer episode, mm-hmm. right? Um, it looks like it's like Kingdom Come. Looks like it's just a serial killer episode with this, you know, and this guy, you know, pissed off at the clergy. Yeah. For lying to him about God. And he can't get God out of his head, even as he kills all of these people who put God into his head. Yeah. And... You know, and yet, the big picture here is the same as it is in Principalities, where the angel says, well, yeah, you know, it was just a a collateral good as opposed to a collateral damage, right? That's exactly right. I couldn't care less whether you're dead or alive. Jesus. It's nothing to do, right? And that's what Kingdom ultimately says, too, that this God makes promises. Yeah. And the, but this God, ultimately, who runs the demons and the angels, mm-hmm. remember, right? Oh yeah, he's ultimately yeah. responsible for all of this. 
yes, ultimately responsible for all of this. And there are rules, and that God set down the rules, and human beings don't really play a part in it at all. We're collateral damage. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that, I mean, is yeah. the, that is a perfect time, a perfect place to uh, to wrap this up because I think that is a pretty strong statement about its worldview, and I think yeah. that is the show's worldview right now. Yeah, if you if you go through all of these episodes, basically, that's what you're getting. Yeah. You know, you think about that poor guy in Blood Relatives. Oh, I know. You know, I mean, that mother was just unbelievable. Yep. You know, the the whole thing you get that, yeah, there's nothing here that is good. No. (laughs) There really isn't. No. All right. So, uh... (laughs) As crazy it is, you can only imagine how bizarre season two is going to get. Because between season one and season two, uh, he essentially, Chris Carter decided it was too much work running two shows simultaneously. He just couldn't do it. So he went to Frank Spotnitz, who uh, has done a lot of fantastic work over the years, and said, would you like to run Millennium? And Frank Spotnitz was like, look, I love working on the X-Files, but I'm still too new at this. I don't think I can run a whole show. And during the first season of Millennium, Glenn Morgan and James Wong had been running uh, Space Above and Beyond. Or like maybe the previous season. But anyway, around that time, which is their show about Vietnam in space. Uh which was largely about fighter pilots in this endless, awful war. Where, and I mean, it was just, it was their statement about Vietnam, it was in space. It's, it's a very good show. And, but that show had gotten canceled. And so they said to, uh, Frank, uh, sorry, Chris Carter was like, well, they've proven they can run a show. So yeah. would you guys like to take over Millennium? And they said yes. And the results were so divisive that they were fired at the end of season two and the two of them didn't talk to Chris Carter for 12 years. Yeah. So that is what you have to have your in your head going into season two. And we will, will explain it all to you as we're watching season two. <laughs> because season two is going to take some swings. And I guess that's all we can say about that. <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, I never mind. No, we're not going to talk any more about it. I know. Let's no, just let it go. Well, we're going to let it go as we go. <laughs> but join us back here in two weeks for uh, Season 2, Episode 1 and 2 of Millennium, which uh, wraps up the cliffhanger. And then the second episode is, I'm trying to remember the title, the one about the dogs. Uh, Beware of the Dog is what the episode is called. I had oh, forgotten. <laughs> which is quite an episode of television, and I'm not going to tell you why. <laughs> Uh, but Canadian, uh, Canadian, uh, television people, uh, sorry, Canadian viewers are gonna, uh, might be surprised by a face they see turning up. And that's all I'll say about that. Uh, but yes, so we're gonna get a wrap up of the kidnapping next week, uh, in the episode, in two weeks, the beginning and the end is season two, episode one, and then, uh, Beware of the Dog is the other one we're going to watch. But next week, we're going to t- do one of our between-season breaks that we've always loved to do, and we're going to pick a Lance Henriksen movie to watch. I don't know what it is yet, 
Uh, no, we're still arguing about. We're what still it arguing is. about what it is. I think it should probably be stone cold. Uh, but <laughs> I just want to watch Terminator. You just want to watch Terminator. He's in a lot more of Stone Cold than he is of Terminator, would be my argument. Oh my but this oh, is a, yes, and it's true. This is a conversation that we will have. Uh, the problem is there's not a lot of oh, movies my. where he's the star. Yeah. Uh, he's generally the villain in these movies is the real problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, in Terminator, he was supposed to be the Terminator. It was written with him in mind. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger wanted to play the Terminator, so he just, and he was obviously not right to be Kyle Reese, so he just got to play a cop. Yes. Which, you know, it's sad. Uh, but, okay. it and did, then, I mean, hey, his career has gone fine, he got to be Bishop, it all worked out. Okay, I was going to say, so do we watch Alien? Aliens. Yeah, <laughs> you watch Aliens, just talk about what a magnificent performance Lance Henriksen gives in that movie, because he is incredible in that movie. All right, this is a conversation we can have off <laughs> off mic. Uh, yes, but seriously, thank you so much for listening and joining us on this trip through season one of Millennium, which, you know, rewatching it has only increased our estimation for it. It's that good. <laughs> Like yeah, it is, that's sure. it really is something I, it, special. Yeah. yeah. I always remember it as a great show, but this, it's I even mean, better than you remember. And I am so happy that 20 years later we can actually watch it like this. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's so interesting to be able to watch, like not have to wait a week, not watch commercials, just like engage with the show. Yeah. It's, yeah, it is. it's a and really this, interesting. All right, uh, so we're going to wrap it up here. We will, oh, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's any profiling-related fiction you'd like us to check out, drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If you were listening on an, a uh, podcatcher or some sort of app, please rate and review the show. That's how people find it. We're going to see you back here uh, for more <laughs> Lance Henriksen next week and then Millennium in two weeks. But until then, I'll say that's right. Au revoir. And have a good week.